We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna It was impressive how meticulous and how uh, well-organized and efficient everything seemed to be, both in terms of um, layout of all the drills on the field and the, the how little time was wasted moving from one thing to another. And, you know, even special team drills were done by um, broken-down segments. But when you came here, they were doing a lot of the same stuff, but it was guys walking from one practice field to the next. There was um, quarterbacks being split up, taking a different drill at different times. It just seemed like... Um, there was a lot of wasted movement, really, in a time where practice time is more important than ever in today's NFL. Um, and, you know, how you use that practice time has probably never been more important. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report. I'm Drew Gear, Bill's season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. We've got a hell of a show for you lined up tonight. Tonight, we're going to be going over... Bill's news, Bill's training camp, and we've got a guest appearance from Christian Simonelli. He's a pod, part-time podcaster for the New England Patriots. He's going to give us a lot of, you know, kind of a scoop on how their training camp is going. That intro was Sam Monson, co-founder of Pro Football Focus on WGR's 550's John Murphy Show, talking about how our training camp stacked up against training camp from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Pro Football Focus Group is going around right now, touring the country and visiting teams while they're in training camp. And by all accounts, he seems to think that we are much sloppier than the perennial playoff contenders from Pennsylvania. What does that say about us? You know, what kind of a, if this is someone who's completely unbiased because his job is just to show up, talk about what he sees. You know, he's he has no reason to have bias. So if you have someone like that saying, hey, our you know, your camp isn't being as orchestrated in an efficient a manner as it probably should be. If you listen to The Herd as much as I do, he had Mark Madden on, which is, mm-hmm. yes, it's that dude that was ringside for WCW in their failing hour. <laughs> he is a prominent radio host in Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and basically that of a shock jock. Mm-hmm. And he said, the, he said the complete opposite of what Sam Monson said. Really? Yeah. 
So he said training camp for the Steelers looks sloppy. Yeah. And also put on that with the what's been going on with the Steelers as mm-hmm. far as Martavius Bryant and Le'Veon Bell and that as a whole organization, Pittsburgh's not as buttoned up as they've been before. Well, it's because they lost the stash. I mean, when you had San- when you had when you had guys like Bill Cowher, and you had players on your team. Like- I like how when you just said coaches, and you had, I mean, you had Bill Cowher. There was only one other name that you could name since like 1970, Chuck Knoll, because mm-hmm. they've only had three head coaches, which is weird as hell. Well, it's because they all run a tight ship and they all win football games. <laughs> We're going to get into it right here, guys. We're going to kick off the show with, as we do every week, the Bills News Update. Probably the biggest story coming out of training camp this week is the addition of Reggie Bush. The Bills added NFL veteran running back Reggie Bush on Monday. You know, It's a move that's been rumored to be in the works for well over a week now. It just doesn't make any sense to me. The guy is old. He has a list of injuries long enough for me to hang myself with. And I don't know, he just doesn't seem like a fit for this roster. For everyone who keeps talking about him being a contributor on special teams, here's some food for thought from ProFootballReference.com. In his five seasons with New Orleans, Bush only returned one kickoff for 32 yards. That's it. He had one kickoff return attempt. On punt returns during that five-year span, he recorded four touchdowns, but only averaged 7.32 yards per punt. Now, I know I'm just spitting numbers at you, but follow me here. After leaving, he's only had eight punt returns since he left New Orleans. Total of 61 yards, average of 7.6 yards per punt. No touchdowns. Just to wrap this all up now, I know, like I said, I'm throwing numbers at you. 7.32, 7.6. Putting this all into perspective, his career punt return average is 7.11 yards per punt return. Last year, that average would have ranked him 21st in the entire NFL. That's 21st. I don't like the signing myself either because I think you can get better production from Mike Gillisley and James Wilder Jr. And that's the only way I see Reggie Bush being on this team is in special teams and you you just reading the numbers. It's not good. No, I, and at the end of the day, I don't see the logic in bringing in a guy who, yes, he's a name. Yes, he's flashed some ability here and there throughout his career. I mean, I'm not going to say that. They, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that the guy didn't ever have talent and isn't talented. But for the role that they're trying to describe him in, okay, not only do I not think he's a good fit, but at the same time, he's taking valuable reps away from young guys that we don't know anything about. I, I don't like it. As far as keeping the special teams perspective, who else on a roster would you put at punt returner slash kick returner? Well, here's the thing. Who have you given a shot at it? Have you gone out there and said, hey, Marquise Goodwin, I want you to try to return punts. Hey, Greg Salas, return punts for me. Rex did mention... Gillies Lee, Wilder Jr., step up to the plate and see if you can return punts. Versatility in your in your players is key. I mean, look at what the Patriots do. You have to be able to do multiple things for that team. I remember LeGarrette Blunt returning a Returning kick kicks? Against Buffalo. That's, I don't remember <clears throat> if it was for a touchdown, but I remember... Oh, no, it was for a touchdown. It was for he a ran touchdown. through us like a hot knife through butter. 
the fact is, is that versatility is key on any roster. You look at what the Patriots do year in and year out. I think that the signing of Reggie Bush, specifically just to try to plug that hole, is a mistake. And it's an error on Rex's part for allowing this to happen, not giving his young guys or someone new or fresh a chance to step up and take that role. Next coming across the airwaves was a Manny Lawson injury right before camp started, right before the very first practice. It was announced that Manny Lawson wouldn't be joining the team for practices. Now it's come out that he's got a pectoral injury and he suffered it while working out on his own trying to bench press. You know where the weight room is? This leaves us very thin at the outside linebacker position. You've got I.K. and Polly and Eric Stryker providing the only real depth out there, especially now that uh, Cedric Reed's been cut. Dude, this is I would today on uh, John Murphy on WGR. They played a couple of comments from Eric Stryker because he's been getting time with the ones. Mm-hmm. God, for just for me, a producer's point of view, Eric Stryker is so much fun to listen to. The interview that he gave. Uh, the reporters at camp, you could tell how just fun-loving he is of his personality. And he uh, openly apologized about uh, offending anybody with his comments about duffs back in May. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know how much fun he is to listen to. I don't know whether he was right or wrong about the chicken wings. But I'll tell you what. By all accounts, he's making plays. Okay? But we're going to need that. With Lawson being out, with um, now Shaq Lawson being out, Manny Lawson being out, no real depth behind, and and Polly and Eric Stryker, they're going to be duking it out, possibly to see who takes that other edge-setting role, you know, that outside linebacker position. Yeah, Eric Stryker talked about when the like, season starts. Eric t- Eric Stryker talked about in this uh, interview. You could you'd have to search for it online. I don't even know if it is at buffalobills.com, but he talked about like. His favorite thing during a play development is if he gets a one-on-one situation with a running back coming around the edge. How he just lives for that moment to go one-up with a running back. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Now, we're through four days of camp already. Day two, there was an interview with Rex Ryan in which he talked, you know, Matthew Fairburn tweeted out that you know, the biggest cheer of the day of practice that he attended came on an underthrown and incomplete pass by E.J. Manuel. You are one pathetic loser. That right there should tell you everything you need to know. Rex has been asked about it by the local media, by national media. This year's camp compared to last year's camp, by all accounts, just doesn't have the same buzz it did before. Rex, Rex has attributed a lot of that to you know, the fact that this year there aren't a whole lot of polarizing stories. He said last year, you know, and it makes sense. He attributes a lot of what happened last year to a quarterback battle. You know, guys are coming out. People are excited. They're buzzing. They want to see who's going to be the Bills' next quarterback. Now that it's kind of set in stone, it's, you know, who, who knows? you got to rely on the wide receiver wide receiver battle for who's going to be three. Or what are we doing at running back with uh, Carlos being out for four games, and we just signed Bush. Does Wilder Jr. have a chance? Does Johnny Williams have a chance? It's it's not as fun when it's you have a quarterback situation in camp. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of camp, the Rock Pal Report is going to be hitting up training camp this Saturday night. Chris and I are going to be attending the uh, the Saturday. We'll be there. Night. We're going to be attending the Saturday night practice, and we're going to be joined by Pierre from Bills Fanatics and Ryan Lassell. And Icy Vic. 
We're going to be there on Saturday. We're going to be doing our Facebook Live show from the from the Pitts, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Pub. Pub and Grill. My girlfriend lives there. Well, used to live there. She grew up there. I'm there all the time, and yet I can never remember the city's name. Pittsburgh. Damn it. Well, that is where... Don't let Saint, her know. No, that is where St. John Fisher's is. I know. Any of you guys out there, don't tell her that I have no clue where the hell she grew up. Exactly, but it's going to be fun. We'll be at training camp and then... And then the Bills post- Fanatics Network coming live to you guys on Facebook from the Pittsburgh Pub. So why don't you guys log on on Saturday around 8.30. You guys can all ch- come and check that out. Or you can just show up <laughs> and find us. So we're going to kick the rest of this show off we got to talk about training camp. I mean, obviously, that's why we're here. And there's too many storylines for us to possibly touch on all of them. But I'm going to do my damnedest. Why don't we start with training uh, training camp memories? Because I tagged you on Facebook last night at midnight. Guys, three years ago today, Kevin Cobb slipped on a mat in training camp. Yeah, can we all have a moment of silence for Kevin Cobb and his dignity? On this day in Bill's history, Kevin Cobb, Lost his lost his job in the NFL officially. I mean, that's what effectively did it for him by slipping on a rubber mat. Exactly. Let's pause for five seconds to remember that occasion. And that's enough. <laughs> Moving on, we should talk about the biggest the, story. The biggest coming, story. The biggest story right now is that Stephon Gilmore is like a house of fire. Okay. A lot has been said about the guy, and his contract dispute with the Bills has played out over the last few months. You know, people are wondering, is there acrimony? How is he going to handle this? Is he showing up to camp? Is he not? Well, I'll tell you what. He chose to, sh- to come out to camp instead of holding out. And now, in- instead, he's looking to put the pressure on the team by just completely outplaying his current pay grade. If the first few practices are any indication, he's on track to do it. I mean, here's Ian Rappaport for NFL Network discussing the topic. He is going to play it out rather than sign a deal. That is the plan going forward for Stephon Gilmore. The team and and Gilmore just could not agree on what his value would be. He's got plenty of talent. We know that. But he has been injured for the past several years. So he's going to hopefully earn it on the field. And I am told he is doing that exactly. Rex Ryan uh, could not speak well enough of Gilmore, the kind of shape he came in, the kind of camp he's having. He thinks he's going to get ready and be a star next year which could mean they might franchise him down the road, could mean he could cash in on a big contract. But if the Bills get the kind of performance they want from him, that's just the kind of issue you worry about next year rather than this year. Rex isn't wrong. Okay, Listening to all of the different media outlets that are talking about Stephon Gilmore's performance through the first four days of training camp. And comparing it to Josh Norman's four days of training camp. Well, he's playing like a maniac. He managed to pick, he picked off the very first pass thrown his way by Tyrod Taylor. For the rest of the first, second, and third days, he just, no one could beat him. With with Sammy Watkins on the sideline, there isn't a receiver on our team right now that has been able to beat beat Gif- Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, and that can only mean good things for our defense if he can keep playing at that kind of level come week one. I mean, here he is, Stephon Gilmore himself, from WG, his w, interview on WGR, discussing his mindset heading into the preseason. I'm always motivated, um, but, I mean, obviously that gives you more motivation. Um, but, like I said, I'm just go out and play my game. I know what I do, so, um, and that's take care of itself. Now, since we're talking about the cornerback position, <clears throat> I have to talk about Darby. 
everyone who's seen it has said the same thing. He had a solid first day of camp, held held his own against competition in one-on-one drills and a little seven-on-seven. But since then, he's been just getting beat like a drum. He's, he's been beaten multiple times by wide receivers that most people who saw it would agree are not on his level. Well, let's go back to what we did last week. I played that uh, clip where he said he's pretty good. He's pretty confident in his own game playing press, and he wants to work on his off coverage. So on these plays at training camp, is he off coverage on this? Because that's the one area of his game that he wanted to work on. Well, that's the one thing that gives me hope here. Because through the first couple days, you're not really allowed to be physical with the wide receivers. You're not. You know, so given that, and he, the fact that he is kind of forced to work in off coverage, which is something he's admitted isn't a strength of his, but that he wants to get better at it. You know, once they allow him to get back to playing more physically, I think he'll get back in a groove and hopefully rebound, you know, down the stretch. But I'll say this, if he struggles, how much more pressure does that put on the front office you know, if he has a sophomore, if he has, I've been saying, if he has a sophomore slump, how much more important does Gilmore become to the Buffalo Bills? Extremely important, more important than Tyrod. Tyrod's not bringing us a Super Bowl. Sign Gilmore. If he bring you know, ASAT pronto. Hang on, I want to make it known right now. We're going to make a gentleman's bet since you seem to you just spout about Tyrod Taylor. Okay, if Tyrod Taylor wins a Super Bowl wearing a Bills jersey. If he wins it, if he wins it, okay, this, you have to eat a whole roll of toilet paper, and I get to videotape it. All right, all right, drink to it, gentlemen's bet. You heard it here, folks. There it is, the toilet paper bet, the Tyrod Taylor TP bet. Speaking of Tyrod Taylor, yeah, a lot was made out of his progression during minicamp and OTAs. He came in by all accounts, had a solid start to the preseason, all the optional workouts, all of it, but. He showed up to training camp, and it doesn't seem like he's in that groove. Reports are coming out from Joe Biscali and from Sal Carpaccio that his play has been up and down and not nearly as consistent as you'd like out of a guy who's going into a contract year. You know, he's shown flashes of improvement. You know, and he was he was mediocre on days one and two. Day three, he came out and owned the red zone drills. You know, I think he threw four touchdowns in that practice. They were on point. You know, laser accurate, not panicking, making the right reads. But overall, he's thrown picks. He's missed wide-open receivers for checkdowns. And I think overall, he's just left a lot to be desired at this point. One of the things they discussed today on John Murphy, were you listening? No, I was working. So was I, but I have the luxury of listening to Bluetooth headphones, and I had John Murphy on. And he actually he had Jim Kelly on, and they were talking about Tyrod Taylor and his uh, accuracy in the deep ball. Well, that's that's something that he has. That's something Tyrod Taylor has and that he's going to have work for him. And once he gets a guy like Sammy Watkins back in, I mean, he, he's going to be looking to throw to him most in most game situations. He's going to be looking to throw to Sammy Watkins first and foremost. But it's surprising to me that he's struggling to build some kind of chemistry with these secondary and tertiary wide receivers. You know, at some point, you've got to wonder if, you know, even though everyone involved with the situation will deny it, if Tyrod's contract and the lack of competition for that job might actually be hindering his performance. On the contract front, this is what GM Doug Whaley had to say on the state of the team's you know, negotiations. Uh, line 
communication are definitely open. Uh, it's free flowing, and uh, we'll hopefully get a resolution soon. Not sure though. So again, lines of communication have been open, um, and those things are, are all, all all contract situations are. are usually a long drawn out process and we'll see where it goes. Absolutely, and we're happy everybody's here. And, and one thing that shows us are, are our guys are competitors and no matter what's going on with the business side of it, they want to come out here and compete and show that they love football. Doug Whaley, buffalobills.com, talking about Tyrod's contract situation followed by Gilmore's contract situation and the fact that Gilmore showed up to camp. Well, from all by, from all accounts, Tyrod really hasn't shown up to camp. I have to wonder if, you know, maybe the fact that he's not being pushed by anybody and maybe the fact that, you know, he's got this un, unknown situation coming up where he's going into a year that he knows he's being underpaid. He's not, he, as a man, you can't be happy about that. Okay, I don't give a shit what anybody says, you know, all the things, the PC things football players will say. You know, I... At the end of the day, they want to know that they're taken care of and they want to know that they're viewed you know, as you know, starting caliber quarterback, that I'm the friend. If you believe in me and you want me to go out here and be this guy, you pay me like him. Treat me like I'm that guy. I'm almost wondering if this isn't hurting his performance. You know, that's going to be, that is probably going to be one of the bigger storylines that people didn't think we'd have to worry about going into next season. Yeah, Tyrod, because I said I've always been skeptical on him. <laughs> Throughout this whole offseason, because I believe we should pay Stephon Gilmore first instead of Tyrod Taylor. Gilmore's production, even though he's had some injuries, Gilmore's production has been better than Tyrod's. Tyrod fails to use the middle of the field. That's why he only had six interceptions last year. He did get injured by Zach Brown. That won't happen again because he now plays for us. But I am skeptical of Tyrod, mainly based on our history with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, but but see that you can't let... See, now right there, you just sound like a jaded... You sound like a jaded ex-boyfriend. Oh, my girlfriend cheated whoa, on me whoa, once. Whoa, whoa, whoa. She, pooped, she pooped in whoa. my bed, took all my clothes and burned them, and then broke my heart and cheated on me with the mailman. That's what you sound like right now. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. This whoa. one... This Hold one, up. This, Dude, I sound like a jaded ex-husband. Get it right. So the fact is, is you sound like a guy who you're sitting there telling me, well, you know, the guy played great for one season. You know, you know what? We can't just extend him based on that. You also don't find quarterbacks just growing on trees. That's why that's why they're considered a precious commodity. That's why you see guys like Philip Rivers, Eli Manning. Are they stellar quarterbacks? No, but they get paid. Why? Because every smart GM knows it's going to be hard to find that guy's replacement. Yeah, we paid Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I think we almost paid for Trent Edwards. Well, but thank God Arizona <laughs> corrected us in that mistake by blowing his head off. So this should make you smile then. You don't want Tyrod Taylor to get paid. Every quarterback not named Tyrod Taylor has played just poorly throughout this training camp so far. By all accounts, E.J. Manuel and Cardhill Jones have struggled through the first few days of training camp. Joe Biscalia called Jones hesitant, quote-unquote, on almost all of his throws, while E.J. Manuel has seemed to balance every single good throw he makes with one that's just completely craptastic. You know, he, he's, floating wide rece- he's floating balls into the wide receiver's knees and feet. How, do you, how you do that is beyond me. I saw, a play of one, I saw a replay of one on a Vine video 
where EJ Manuel drop back, drops back to pass. And I think it's a pass to Greg Salas. I'm not sure. But he lets this thing go, and it just seems to sail forever. And like the, the camera goes to the air, and you're like, oh, that ball's going everywhere. And then it drops like not even 30 yards from the line of scrimmage while the receivers are a clear 40. Well, yeah, EJ couldn't hit sand if he fell off a camel. Now, I saw a tweet from one of the uh, few people that cover the Buffalo Bills and put out a tweet that Cardell Jones overthrew someone and knocked a reporter's phone out of no. their hand. Vic Carucci from the Buffalo News, he, he has described Cardell Jones as, quote-unquote, wildly inaccurate. says, even though he has impressive arm strength, in Tuesday's recap, he included this anecdote. Jones dropped back, flicked a pass. You know, he can throw it 40, 50 yards on a rope, which is seemingly a flick of the wrist. He drops back to pass. It sailed almost 20 yards out of bounds and hit a reporter who was completely unaware that he was in danger, causing him to drop and break his phone while trying to protect his face. (laughs) For anyone out there who... For all of you fringe, lunatic, line WGR callers who thought that Cardale Jones was going to get drafted in the fourth round and come in here and steal a starting position or be ready to start at all anytime soon, I hope this is a reality check for you. Or, like what happened three years ago today, an EJ situation. We're not looking for Tyrod to slip on a mat tomorrow God. at training camp. You take it back. You knock on the table three times right now or I'll come over there. One, two, three. Three, we don't need another Kevin Cobb situation because, thank God, we found out that um, EJ sucked in 2013 and not in 2014. Moving on from the quarterback battles, my guy, Reggie Ragland. Okay, everyone, everything was made, you know, he was dubbed a first-round talent in this year's NFL draft. And then he fell to the second round and Whaley was tripping all over himself to try to get his hands on the guy. The big knock on him was that, well, he's solid at diagnosing plays. You know, he can communicate well with all the players around him. He understands complicated schemes. He's gap sound in the run game, and he's capable of delivering huge hits without breaking down his form. He, people kept saying he didn't have the 40 time, and he doesn't have the, you know, the three-cone drill and all this stuff that he can't be a true three-down linebacker at the NFL level. Now, as an Alabama fan, I can tell you that that simply isn't true. I would say more often than not, he was our dime. He was our dime linebacker. You know, when they would roll out dime packages, the other team would go, you know, four or five wide. Reggie Raglan was the one out there on the field, not Reuben Foster, not some of the younger, more athletic running backs, running backs, line, linebackers. It was Reggie Raglan because of, he understands route trees. He understands the angles wide receivers are going to take, and he uses that to his advantage. So he doesn't have the greatest top end speed. But because he can diagnose a play and he can kind of get a feel for where that receiver is going to go, he takes good angles on the ball, which you know kind of alleviates some of the need to be an athletic freak if you can just be where your guy is going to be. And I've even said it a couple weeks ago in our podcast that if you look at Rex Ryan as a defensive coordinator slash head coach with Baltimore and New York, he's always had great linebackers Bart Scott Ray Lewis the thing is he needs a thumper in the middle he didn't have that last year he had two finesse linebackers that's what he came into camp with last year was a guy in Nigel Bradham who Nigel Bradham's a big guy but he doesn't play like a big guy you know what I mean you never see him make that devastating hit he's better as a coverage linebacker okay that's great 
Reggie Ragland brings more of that. I'm gonna thump you in the middle, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make it known that you don't want to try to run up the gut, or you don't want to try to run off guard on me, because I'm gonna stuff it, and I'm gonna smack your running back. Force plays outside because they don't want to run into him. He's that type of linebacker, but at the same time, he's not lost in pass coverage. And Rex Ryan said it himself this week with an interview from BuffaloBills.com. I really like the way he is. I think he's a complete player. That's what you saw on tape, and and that's what he is here. He can blitz. He, he can hit. He can stuff the run. I think he's a good, good in pass defense. He's, he understands it. I think everybody question is when you see a guy's forty time, you know. But there's players in this league that all they just know how to play. Might not be the fastest guy, but you know somebody with with speed that that doesn't under have the instincts and awareness of others sometimes doesn't play as fast as is maybe a guy that can't run a 40 you know I, I said before I, I don't think it was a, a negative about Reggie his cover skills now one of the things that uh, I had discussed with you in our preparation for tonight's show is that on the moving the sticks podcast which is an NFL podcast with NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks I had grabbed some audio although we're, I don't have it prepped up to play but I had text you about mm-hmm. it that Bucky Brooks said Buffalo, third best rookie class coming into this season. And he said that we had three starters on our roster that we just drafted. And he listed them as Shaq Lawson, Adolphus Washington, and Kevon Seymour. And completely missed Reggie Ragland. And I texted you about it and you said that that audio was irrelevant. It is irrelevant because that guy is a hack. Okay, Daniel Jeremiah can blow me. Oh, it's Bucky, Bro- Bucky Brooks. Oh, good. Bucky Brooks. He can blow me. That guy even more so than anybody else out there. That guy can blow me. I'll tell you why. Bucky Brooks, you know, guys, guys like that. Everybody wants to, you know, my problem with analysts, it's part of the reason why I don't follow SportsCenter anymore. It's part of the reason why I don't do a lot of the, I don't even go to ESPN to read news anymore. Anybody who gets one of those jobs and becomes an analyst or quote-unquote analyst or becomes a quote-unquote expert, they have to try to be the smartest guy in the room. So if you're packing as much as you can into a soundbite, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, Reggie? Ra- oh, I'm pegging Reggie Ragland as part of the best you know, rookie class? No. What you're going to do is because you don't know. You don't know much about him, but you know what you're going to do is you're going to go out there and you're going to pick some name that nobody knows about. And they're going to look at it and say, oh, wow. Wow, he must know something I don't know about that guy. Well, minicamps, Seymour got a lot of chatter. Okay, and so I'm sure what he did was he just kind of went on the news and was like, okay, well, who are they all talking about down there in the Buffalo media? Oh, this Kevon Seymour. Well, I'm going to be the first guy in the room to say that I think he's going to be good. Because then later, if I'm wrong, I can be like, well, it was, he, was a, he was a late pick in the draft and it doesn't matter. And if I'm right, I'll look like a genius. I mean, it's, it's a cop-out and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Screw that guy. The next topic of discussion I want to bring up, James Wilder finally got some work with the ones. Okay. Last week, Gary from the AFC East Pros podcast argued with me about my love for James Wilder Jr. and his physical brand of play. Let's reiterate your gentleman's bet. Gary's coming for the 49ers game in October, Mm -hmm. and it is Drew's James Wilder Jr. against Gary Smith's. Touchdown, Mike Gillisley. Whoever makes the 53, if it's Wilder, then Gary buys Drew the first drink. If it's the other way and Gillisley's on the 53 in September, Drew's buying Gary a beverage in October. 
All I know is this. Gary, I hope you like the taste of crow. This is what Doug Whaley had to say about James, what James Wilder Jr. brings to the table. Physicality, size and physicality, and uh, hopefully he takes that next step also on the special team. So if he can do those three things, he's got a real good shot of trying to make this roster. Now that's straight from buffalobills.com. I'll tell you this. I've watched the kids tape. I watched him in college. I've gone back. I've watched his college tape. I watched I watched his preseason footage last season. The guy he's what he does is he's he's almost you know like I said earlier in the season, earlier, you know, training camp previews. Doug Whaley went out and got a bunch of running backs who are all big, physical, north and south runners. They're all over like 6'3", 225. Yep. They're all one-cut one cut. guys, and they go. They see a gap, and they hit it, and they hit it hard. And they'll hit guys on the other side of the line. They they don't shy away from contact. It's, I just think that with McCoy being limited in his reps right now, and Carlos Williams still trying to get into shapes that he can work out, I think it's telling that they, the first person they gave a crack at working with the first team offense was Wilder Jr. You know, it wasn't John Williams. You know, he got to work with the with the ones, and then Reggie Bush goes and gets signed, and so now they're throwing Bush in there with the mix. Like I said, he's stealing touches from rookies that I want or young guys who I think have more long term upside on this roster than Reggie Bush does. I think he has no business being here. You know, now, I don't know about why they chose to go with Wilder Jr. over John Williams, but I'll say this. He's got NFL experience. I mean, his talent level, for as much as you want to call him a stiff athlete, you know what I see when I watch the replays of him playing both in college and at, you know, in his preseason games last year with Cincinnati? You see 3% a guy, body fat. You see a guy who, I mean, there was one, he made this ridiculous leaping touchdown. You see a guy who's got the athleticism to play running back at the NFL level. He's got the size to play running back at the NFL level. He just needs to get into a system that's going to utilize him to the best of his abilities. I don't think there's a better scheme in football for a guy like that than what the Buffalo Bills bring to the table. Do you disagree with me? I don't. I usually agree with you because... I always feel like I lose arguments with you. Well, yeah, because... Except if it's Stefan Gilmore against Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> I always win those. And just, then we go fight in the street. Just wait till you're eating toilet paper. South Buffalo street fight. <laughs> I personally think that Wilder Jr. brings a power dimension to, the, to his game that Gillesley and Boom Heron just don't have. You know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching this battle closely because I love what I think he can bring to the team because on special teams, he's solid. The guy is great on special teams. Last year in the preseason, he was making tackles all over the place. That's why he lasted as long on the Bengals roster before eventually getting cut as he did. You know, I think that if you look at the, the complete package of what he brings to the team, Mike Gillisley hits, you know, he's a home run threat, quote unquote. Okay, I don't want a home run threat. Not when my offense is the team that's going to run the ball most in the NFL. I want a guy who can go out there and grind. I want a guy who can go out there and bang with some of these line, NFL linebackers. Gillesley can't outrun between the tackles. He's a speed guy. He bounces everything outside, tries to get a crease, and then takes off down the sideline. And you're going to get that maybe once every three games. You'll That's hit right, Merrill Hodge. Seal of approval. You're only going to hit one of those every three games. I want a guy that I can depend on game in and game out to put up, you know, get tough yards between the tackles when I need them. That's why I think James Wilder Jr. is the guy. That's something, and that's why I'm going to be pulling for him. I think it's definitely something to watch. Next up is the line play. Okay, now it's typical this time time of the season. 
You know, the lines, they, they, they're all coming off the couch. They're not coming off the couch, but they've been in workouts. They've been doing things, but they haven't been able to touch each other. You haven't gotten together and actually had to come off the snap. So their timing isn't down. And it's resulted in a number of false starts and offsides penalties for the Bills so far. After their second practice, Ryan vowed that going forward, they were everyone was just going to run laps to atone for those types of transgressions going forward. Stride, 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 execute. By day two, there have already been a number of players taking that jog of shame. Rookie Adolphus Washington had to go. There was a number of second teamers. Center Eric Wood had to take a lap. Wood tried to fight it. By all accounts, Wood tried to argue that he didn't. And Rex Ryan's response, he, you know, he was trying to tell him, hey, that's not false start. That's not a false start. And he says, oh, yeah. He goes, I guess uh, <laughs> something about everybody else. He goes, I guess everybody else was just so still that it looked like you moved. Now get jogging. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I feel like it's Bush League to have to resort to that. But at the same time, I kind of a part of me kind of likes it. Just it's a little it, fundamental. Yeah, fundamentals. And that's what it takes a to pre, win football. A pre-snap right? penalty, take a lap, do some push-ups. I mean, it's... It's something, you know, I'm assuming that these are all just growing pains. I don't think it's anything permanent, guys. You know, through four games, four games, four training camps, this has been what, you know, it's been getting better, I guess. There hasn't been as many transgressions because we, what was it? The second day of training camp, Ryan was heated about how many offsides and, you know, pre-snap penalties there were. Now I'm not hearing anything about it, so I'm assuming it's got to be getting better. I mean, would you agree? I'm assuming they would. You got to work Carucci on. would blow this thing up if it was if it was becoming an issue, right? Yeah, you got to you got to work on penalties. We don't want to have a same type of game that we had against the Giants last year. This year, well, no, it's. I mean, it is worth keeping in mind. We were one of the most penalized teams in the NFL last season. Think about how many drives got killed. Two touchdowns in that Giants game got taken off the board because of pre-snap. Well, not pre-snap, but holding penalties. You know, God knows how many other false start penalties, personal fouls. All of that stuff has to get cleaned up if the Bills are going to have any shot of making the postseason this year. And then, as is typical with training camp this time of year, the defense is just way ahead of the offense. You know, we were talking about how, you know, Stephon Gilmore can't be thrown on. Even when Darby's struggling, he's not struggling that bad. You've got Jonathan Meeks and Duke Williams, who by all accounts are shining. You know, both of those guys are coming away with picks and they're making plays in the secondary and Rex Ryan's crowing about both of them. The offense, you know, I feel like that's the offense always gels slower than the defense. You know, the, the offense, you have more assignments to, to work through in your head. You have more timing, you know, whereas with defense, it's just react to what you see. Use your natural athleticism, read the play and react to what you see. So from a, from that perspective, a lot of news is going to come out, and it's probably going to keep coming out until we play our first preseason game about how our defense looks so much better than our offense. But that's to be expected, you know, especially in a complicated offense like what uh, Greg Roman runs. You know, there's a lot of pinning and pulling. You know, Eric Turner has talked about it multiple times over at CoverOne.net. Oh yeah, he put together like a like a four part series on uh, Greg Roman's run game. Greg Roman's run schemes. If anyone wonders why, what happened to the 49ers after he left, I'll tell you what happened. He has one of the most diverse running schemes that the NFL has ever seen. He just, the way he combos his blocks to free up lanes for runners is incredible. He puts so much time, so much time, effort, and creativity into it. So 
Yeah, if it's, you need to figure out a running game, CoverOne.net, look at Eric Turner's videos. They're friggin' amazing. I'm and they get somebody you. like me who doesn't know as much as Drew does about football, and I get a little base understanding of the X's and O's because that's clearly not what I know. I'm I know you. how to press record. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you guys, like, for everyone out there who wants to complain about the fact that our offense is where it needs to be, just hold your breath and wait, okay, because it'll come back. It's just right now they're trying to get that timing down. Yeah, let's not forget we curb stomped Indianapolis week one last year. Well, let's not get carried away here. That's not going to happen. I mean, week one, we're playing a tough team. We're going into you know Baltimore to go play the Ravens. I don't expect a curb stomping. I think that's going to be a fight. Now, speaking about fighting, we're going to talk about the wide receiver battle. That is going to be a fight, ladies and gentlemen. But one of the most telling things is that I have not heard going into this all, I thought that uh, Boykin... I thought that Boykin was going to be one of the players that would stand out from all this. All the crowing that got done about him when he was in Green Bay and that he was about to be crowned like the number three, almost number two wide receiver. And then he fell off and Devontae Adams completely replaced him. Well, I thought he would show up here and shine. And so far, I have not heard his name once. It seems like we've had, what, four days of of camp Mm -hmm. so far? It seems like each day there's somebody different, whether it's Des Lewis Greg Little, or even I've heard Walter Powell have excellent practices. Well, and that's what I want to talk about. Right now in the wide receiver race, you know, by all accounts, Robert Woods is shining. Robert Woods looks like he's fully re- he's fully recovered from that groin injury. I mean, he struggled last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he wasn't healthy. Now that he's healthy, people are saying he's zipping around out there. He's making plays. He's doing what he has to do to prove that he's a number two wide receiver. So that number three job, it's up for grabs. You've got Des Lewis and Greg Little are the two, you know, the two names that keep coming up. That keep coming up in every article I read about who's performing well, who's making flashy plays. They've been impressing everybody through the first days of practice. You know, they made it to day three, and this is where it gets interesting because day three was the day that they put the pads on. Now this is where this is why it's like anybody can be a track athlete, but not everybody can be an NFL football player. As soon as the pads came on and some physicality came into play, Des Lewis and Greg Little both regressed. Greg Little went back to dropping passes, which is what he was, you know, that's what doomed his career in Cleveland. The guy's an athletic specimen. He just couldn't hang on to the ball. Then you've got Des Lewis, who struggled. Like, that's what cost him a spot on the roster last year, was that he just couldn't find a way to deal with press coverage. And he's a big guy. You know, it reminds me of James Hardy. If anybody remembers that guy. We took him <laughs> I think we took him in the, was it a third round? No, second. Was it a second round It was pick? a second. He was a six-foot-five or six-foot-six wide receiver, and we were like, oh, this guy's great. Well, teams figured out really quick that that guy was so lean and so tall that all you had to do was jam him at the line, and he could never recover. You know, he didn't have the top-end speed. He was a long strider. So he never recorded significant statistics for the Bills. I don't think he ever caught a touchdown. Des Lewis is going to have to find a way. Now, he's not built like that. He's a little bit bulkier. He's got to find a way to get separation. You know? And that just goes to show that with even though you know, those two got a hot start in the wide receiver race, this whole thing is wide open. Like you said, Walter Powell's been coming up. Walter Powell's name has been getting brought up. Who the, I've never heard of that guy before. You know, we're going to get a look at him Saturday at camp. I guess Saturday... They're doing a scrimmage Saturday when we're going to be there. I know. So it's going to be, we're going to get the best uh, analysis from Drew for next week. 
based on this scrimmage because it's the first in person. I'm going to get to see it with my own two eyes. And finally, I want to bring up one of, again, one of these guys that I just got a boner for. Not literally. Well, maybe. <laughs> Jarrell Worthy has been flashing with the first team defense. Now, he was an under the radar signing. I mean, Jarrell Worthy has been someone I've had my eye on ever since you know the start of free agency. The guy was fantastic for Michigan State in college. Is he edge or inside? Oh, no, he's a D-tackle. He got drafted by Green Bay, and then since then just did not, he just couldn't find a niche. He played for Green Bay. He played for the Patriots. The Patriots didn't want him. So then he was cut, and we picked him up. So he's getting, he's got to be getting time with ones if Kyle's not there well, and Marcel. According to Joe Biscalia, he's been working alongside Adolphus Washington and filling in for Kyle and Darius at de- defensive tackle. And so far, he's been making a big case for himself to be present on the 53. I mean, the knock on him has always been he doesn't make explosive plays. You know, in college, he was great because he was kind of a space eater, but he could also make that occasional just like pushing the pocket sack. At the NFL level, he just couldn't, through his first couple years of his career, he just couldn't find a way to do it. But so far through camp, I mean, he's already got three sacks. Now, you're talking about three sacks going up against the number one offensive line. That's not sacks on, you know, he's not sacking Cardale Jones. That's three sacks on Tyrod Taylor that this guy who has been bounced around the league year after year has managed to get on our first Eric Wood. Eric Wood, Richie Incognito. Richie Incognito. Who else? Who's the other guard? I don't John know. Miller. John Miller. So he, he's making a case for himself to stick around as a backup D-tackle, and I couldn't be happier about it because I think the kid has the potential to be great. That looks like it's going to be our, uh, I guess, deepest position on the roster if you have Kyle and Marcel starting with Adolphus and Worthy as backups. What's well, going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, folks. But uh, stay tuned. You know, next week we're going to have a lot. You know, we're going to have a lot of you know recap, and we're going to have a lot of talk about what we saw and what we experienced at training camp. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys, we've got a treat for you tonight. Our guest this evening, Mr. Christian Simonelli, podcaster for the New England Patriots. Now, guys, throughout the course of last season, every week I gave you guys the AFC East roundup. You know, we always try to keep tabs. You know, we're Bills fans, but we try to keep tabs on whatever team in the division is doing. We got to know what's going on within our division because we play this team twice. Yeah. So this offseason, I've decided that we're going to bring in podcasters and different people, you know, writers from different teams around the division to talk about how their team is doing through training camp. And this week, we've got Christian Simonelli on with us. Christian, how are you doing tonight? Excellent, Drew. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Anytime. Now, I know that you've been the guest host of the PFW podcast. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, for the past two years, they've had me in there uh, in the summer once a year uh, to cover for uh, when some of the guys are on vacation. Now, is there now? How did you get plugged into that? Is there anything else that you work on? Any kind of projects that you've got going on involving football or? There isn't actually. Um, I've just been a loyal listener since 2006 to PFW in progress. I actually went to the website and went to them after the Patriots uh, had had actually had lost the 2007 AFC Championship game to the Colts, and that was the first really the first big major loss that that we had um, in the championship game. So I was looking for some uh, some consoling uh, <laughs> off a of local radio when I found those guys. <laughs> well, and you know what? That's how it happens. I mean, I yeah, got yeah. into podcasting. Not kidding, because my friend over here, Chris, he's a CNC machinist by trade. But he I went. did go to broadcasting school in 2005, and I worked for the Atlanta Thrashers 
I don't know if you know what that is. The Atlanta Thrashers <laughs> yeah. radio network for a season and did some interning on Mayhem in the AM on 790 The Zone, which one of the co-hosts of Mayhem in the AM got in a little bit of hot water, Nick Cellini, making fun of Steve Gleason. Oh, that's oh, not cool. That. What the hell? He got fired for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I did, he better have. And then the whole station went under. I'm well, not, I'm yeah. not, that I'm not kidding about. So, wow. so he approached me and you know, he said, hey, I want to do a podcast. And I was like, I've never listened to a podcast. I know nothing about podcasting. You're addicted. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. You can drink beer and talk about the bills. Those are two things I know you can do. And now a year later, here we are. It's funny how that happens. You do. You get addicted to them right away, and it's uh, you sure have a lot of fun with them. I'm so sure you will. So for every guest that I bring on the show, I've got a couple questions that I, I, I need to have answered just so I can kind of get a feel for how you are as a fan of your team. Okay. First off, what was your favorite? Now, to this point in your life, what has been your favorite Patriots game? It's It's got to be Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 36, just absolutely blown away. Whenever Ty Law intercepted that, that ball mm-hmm. and they went up 14-3, it was like a religious experience. Um, it really was. You know, the Vinatieri kick, obviously, at the end and the Brady drive, but we were all just, you know, sitting with my friends, you know, what's happening here? Um, you had the Oakland game before then, but that game will always stick with me. That would definitely be my favorite game. Now, <laughs> I've got to ask. Yeah. What is your least favorite Pats game? Uh, it's, it's Super Bowl Forty Two, the undefeated season. No question. <laughs> I <laughs> no question. I, I think that. if you ask any Pats fan, that that's probably one, if not top two. Now I got to tell you a story. Now this is how much I dislike the Patriots. This was the bet, M- mind you. I came out on the other side of it. Yep. I'm at a Super Bowl party. My friends are all sitting there talking up the Patriots about, how, oh, we're going to get to see history made and all this stuff. And I'm just so bitter. Uh, but at this point in my life, I, you know, I was younger. I'm 31 now. I was much younger then. Yep. And I was just so bitter about the Patriots. I was like, they're not going to win this game. I know they're not. So I made a bet. The guys I was watching the game with had a band. They were a five-piece band. They played downtown. They played out. And they were op- an opening act for a lot of bigger shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I made the bet with them. Right then and there before kickoff, that if the Giants won, I would show up to their next show in full drag. (laughs) But since no one thought it was possible, I mean, they're like, oh, these guys are going to go undefeated. Who could possibly stop them? I said, if since I need, you know, I need some kind of, you know, I need, we need to balance this bet out, I'll show Mm -hmm. up in drag. But if I win and the Giants somehow find a way to win this thing, you all have to play your next show in drag. That will go down in history as the best bet I've ever made in my entire life. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it was. That's really something. <laughs> and I think that as a Bills fan, there's some, I, there's just something about me that likes seeing Bill Belichick upset. Like, he, oh. even when he's happy, he doesn't look happy. But when uh, that's, he's, that's accurate. But sure. when he's upset, there's a scowl. That man gets a scowl. Yep, he sure does. And, uh, you know, I, I've said it before to a bunch of fans, and I'll say it again. Um, we love him because he's ours. I can assure you if he was a head coach of any of the 31 other teams, I'd hate his guts. <laughs> I like that you brought up those two games as your favorite and uh, least favorite game because over here on our podcast, we've been complaining about the contract situation and the cap room with Tyrod Taylor and Stephon Gilmore, while Drew yep. over here has been 
saying sign Tyrod Taylor first. I am in the Stephon Gilmore camp because I believe that defense wins championships, and it's great that you brought up those two Super Bowls because the Super Bowl that you won against the Rams, the Rams were one of the best offenses in NFL history, and you guys shut them down, held them to 17 points. And then in the undefeated season, while the final week of the season, it almost seemed like a shootout with the Giants. Like, the Giants almost had you the last week. And then in the Super Bowl, they hold the Patriots, which had scored like 30 points a game in the regular season, to only 14. And that just reassures my stance that defense wins championships. Oh, God. I'm going to hear, Christian, you know what the worst part is? I'm going to hear about this for a week now. <laughs> what? Just him going off about defense winning titles. <laughs> and the last question I got for you before we really get into Patriots training camp. What is your game day ritual? Okay, where is your favorite spot You know, to watch a game? You know, What do you like to eat? What do you like to drink? What is your usual routine? I bet it involves well, Sam Adams' beer. <laughs> It, it well, it certainly involves alcohol. It depends on the on the game, on how big the game is. It could be hard liquor, or it could just be beer. So it depends on how I feel that day. But it's definitely home. Um, I'm 37 now, and you know, in my late 20s, mid 20s, it would be different. I'd be out watching games, but the game is just so good on TV now. I just love watching it in my home. I usually turn go to the Patriots, and they have a pregame social which are the guys from PFW in progress, the writers, mm-hmm. and they give a breakdown of, of what's to come. You know, they have uh, on field, you know, uh, uh, reporters that, that call in from both sides, from our side and the opponent's side. And it's really a good way to get, to get the, to get the, uh, get the game, get the day started. It's usually like about two hours before game day. So that's pretty much my ritual. And I'm Italian. So it'll either involve pizza or pasta that day. One of the two. Well, a pizza and pasta is not a bad way to go. So, I'm taking a look at this now in Patriots training camp. Now, obviously, one of the biggest questions out there, Brady is suspended for the first four games of the season. Now, how does that affect his reps at quarterback? You know, is he still getting a lot of the looks with the ones, or is it split with him and Garoppolo at this point? Um, The reps have been pretty equal to this point. They've both been getting an equal amount of time with the ones. Um, so as far as his reps getting affected, it hasn't leaned more towards Garoppolo. I expect it will next week when they start practicing against, um, the saints. Um, and then they have another joint practice the following week against the bears. So I'm curious to see that, but right now they're both getting an equal amount of time. Now, how does Jacoby Brissett figure into all of this? Is it all Garoppolo splitting the first team, or is, is Brissett seeing some time with the ones? It's basically Brady and Garoppolo. Brissett is really off with that second and third unit. Um, so they're treating, he hasn't, they're treating yeah, him he, very much like a second or third stringer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, And that's good because when they drafted him, I'll tell you, it's not a terrible pick. I didn't hate him as a quarterback prospect. I just didn't like him anytime in the next two years. Yeah, I think he needs they, a lot of work. Yeah, he clearly does. Um, he certainly showed some flashes. He's got a decent arm. Um, he actually made a play in, in the spring, which sort of caught a lot of people by not surprised, but it was kind of a they made note of it. He made a call at the line, which was very unusual for a rookie to do in, in a spring OTA camp, and he he was very vocal in getting guys lined up. 
So he seems pretty smart, has a decent arm, but he's clearly the number three on the team. See, that's funny because our number three, Cardell Jones, so far the only notable thing he's done through camp to this point was he threw a ball effortlessly because he's got a monster arm, right? <laughs> yeah. He takes his ball and he throws it 20 yards out of bounds and hits a reporter who <laughs> doesn't see it coming because he's 20 yards away from the field. Yeah. So he tries to defend himself at the last second with his hands, and it ends up knocking his phone out of his hands and just destroying it. <laughs> that, that's how camp has gone for Cardell Jones. That's the story that kind of sums up how it's all gone yeah, for Yeah, that's him. exactly what we're dealing with behind Tyrod this <laughs> offseason. Not good. No, Not good. It's like something out of a movie, right? Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> so how does Garoppolo look when he's under center? You know, is, does it look like he has? Does it seem like, by all reports, that he has timing with his wide receivers and tight ends? Is that some chemistry that he's working on? He's been he's he's looked pretty comfortable. Um, he's he's certainly he's had command of the offense. Um, if you were to you know if you want to compare him and Brady, Brady and Gronkowski have been the two best players on the field by far well, through the first six days of training camp. And, and, Brady and Gronkowski you know, are someday going to be standing there with yellow jackets on. So Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and you certainly take that for what it's worth, you know, for what it is. Um, but Garoppolo has not looked overwhelmed or has not thrown the ball, you know, bad at all. He's been good. He's gotten rid of it when he needs to get rid of it, and he's made some nice throws. He's a little bit more accurate on his deep ball than Brady, um, and he's had some nice throws to uh, Martellus Bennett deep down the seam, and Malcolm Mitchell down the sideline, the rookie. And I got to tell you, you just said the name that scares the hell out of me the most. Okay, I don't – Gronkowski, we've dealt with Gronkowski. We've seen what he does to our defense. He just mm-hmm. – he's going to do what he does. Okay, mm-hmm. Every game we play, you guys, I expect him to go off for a touchdown and probably 100 yards. But yeah. the thing that terrifies me is what Martellus Bennett's doing on the other side of the offense now because that guy is a monster. He is, um, you know. I know that motivation was certainly an issue for him at, at uh, in Chicago, and and um, you know he originally was drafted by Dallas, and I remember when he was drafted, that was a bit of an issue. But he's two years removed from a ninety catch season. So far in camp, he's been great. Um, him and Gronk really have been tearing it up, um, and he loves it here. Uh, I think it was the second day he was he was at camp. You know, reporters asked him how it was playing with mm-hmm. Brady, and he said. You know, I tell all these guys around him, man, you have no idea how good you have it that you played with Brady, that you play with Brady. He's unbelievable. Um, and he said Gronk is just a, a freak. So I just I, I have a, a solid expectations for him, but I do try to hold myself back because it is camp. And I was also very high on uh, a former Buffalo Bill by the name of Scott Chandler last year, and that didn't work out so well. I got a feel. I got a feel. Well, I don't think Bennett is is as uh, old as Chandler, but mm-hmm. for Brady being suspended for the first four games of the season, having Gronk and Bennett, they always say tight end is the quarterback safety blanket. So that's gotta that's gotta be that's gotta be very helpful for Garoppolo. Oh, it will be, and he said as much. He actually said as much today. He said having those two guys. He, he didn't mince words. He said having those two guys out there helps a lot. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Michael Bennett is one of the more outspoken people in football. I mean, did you see the article that came out in ESPN about him? 
I did not, no, but I did hear about it. The interview with him and his brother, and I think one of the telling yeah. things, and I think the reason why you guys are going to see a, a, re- a re-energized player, like you said, motivation was an issue for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was a point where he went out of his way to bash to bash Jay Cutler. Now, how often do you see a player go to a different team, and usually they try to have some class. They try to talk about... I guess class isn't the word. They try to... You're using the word class with the New England Patriots. And that's all that they've been. <laughs> the, the thing is, they try to be... They, You know, most players take the high road. Whenever they get asked questions about other teams, you know, former coaches, former, you know, whatever the case may be. Michaelis sure. Bennett flat out just laid into Jay Cutler. His brother yep. called him one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, and Martellus wow. Bennett just said, he goes, I could be wide open, and that dude would still throw into triple coverage. Wow. <laughs> that's wow. Yeah, bit. that's pretty pretty blatant. Yeah. But so I honestly, he's probably, he is one of the scariest new additions you guys have made to your team all year. And I think that he's going to he's gonna be a safety net more so than Gronkowski because defenses are going to target Gronkowski. They know that that's where Garoppolo is going to be looking to go. You know, he may sure. not have a whole lot of chemistry built with these receivers, but Gronkowski, I mean, it's the guy's a freak. But yeah. I think Bennett could become that safety net that no one sees coming for Garoppolo. Yeah, he could. You know, you can't, it's the old adage, you can't double cover everybody. Um, and so I certainly think he's definitely going to get some opportunities in this offense, provided, of course, that you have everybody else out there. Um, but, yeah, I think he's going to be he's going to be very good for Garoppolo and Brady. Now I have to I have to ask before we move on from the quarterback thing. Considering who is starting for, at quarterback for the first four games, and considering what your schedule looks like, what is your yeah. personal prediction for the first four games? I think they go five hundred. I think they go two and two. I think that first game at Arizona, I'm chalking up as a loss. Tough game, I opening think night. Brady in there, that's a loss. I yeah, it's a tough game. Tough game on the road. It's a tough pace to play. It's a very good team. Um, and then I think even though the next three games are at home, um, Rex Ryan always comes up with a good game plan against the Patriots every year. You know, there's a game where, uh, you say, gee, you know, he came up with a defense that Brady had some trouble with. And I think if, you know, by the time that they play the bills, it'll be week four and Rex will have three games on a Garoppolo. And I see those as the two losses. I think that I don't think Houston is strong enough, especially if J.J. Watt is out. Oh, and I Watt's really don't out. think too much about Miami either. There, there has been years where the Bills have swept. Yep. You know, you know, swept the Dolphins, and yet the Dolphins somehow find a way to beat the Patriots for one game. How does that happen? Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I just it's 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 Miami is the only explanation I can come up with. They just don't play well in Miami for whatever reason. <laughs> well, but they've had Miami teams that have been 1-15, and they've given the Patriots a hard time. Right. I mean, luckily you guys have this one at home, and you get that three-game home stretch. I mean, that's yep. got to help take some of the edge off the Brady suspension. It does. The three games at home uh, are huge. Uh, it's certainly They're certainly huge, and you know, because they flat out you know, don't lose at home. They have a great home record. Yeah. Now... Yeah. Is there any possibility of a quarterback competition if, if, and I know Bilicic has bristled about it to the media. I mean, what was it the other day? He dropped the GC bomb. GC (laughs) under his breath. The JC bomb. I think. Oh yeah. I think all of this got started from uh, ESPN's first take. I don't know if you had uh, seen that they had talked about. Is there a four? This is four game stretch enough for Garoppolo to to uh, do what Bledsoe did. 
you know, for what Brady did to Bledsoe. Yeah, what yeah. Brady did to Bledsoe, and everybody, everybody on social media destroyed first take for oh, the yeah. comment. Yeah, um, you know, it's our uh, Tom, right? You, you know, you you question, you're questioning, uh, you're questioning our uh, Tom. You're questioning, you know, you know his greatness when you see you can even bring that into the equation. <clears throat> the way that I look at it. Um, no quarterback can do what Brady hasn't already done. And Brady, if Brady had started a fall off last year or if he didn't look good in camp, I would give that a sliver of hope that Garoppolo potentially could play past four games. But I just don't see it. Um, barring an injury to Brady between now and, you know, the end of camp, um, I don't see it. I think Brady comes right in there in week five. And I think I think Belichick did, you know, came out because he very rarely tells you what he's going to do. But I think he came out and said what he said just to squash any idea that there is going to be a, a potential issue, potential competition. Um, Tom's coming back in week five. That's it. Um, if Garoppolo goes 4-0 and throws 12 touchdown passes and no interceptions, Brady stole the starter in week five. Well, I think looking at it, A, that's the smart choice. You know what I mean? I think for any coach, yeah. that's the smart choice to make right there is, hey, this is my guy. I'm not going to put my Hall of Famer on the bench because some rookie flashed in the first four games. Because yeah. when the schedule gets tough, when things, when the season gets long, I know what I'm going to get out of Tom Brady. I don't know what I'm going to get out of this kid. I thought the whole argument was foolish, but I thought it was funny in a way. Just because sure. I'm like, who are these people questioning, is Tom Brady going to get benched? No. Are they high? <laughs> so then I, started, then I started talking to different people I know about it. And you hear from a lot of like my cousins, the, page, the raving Patriots fans, about how they think that this is the perfect audition for Jimmy Garoppolo to get you guys another first round or second round pick somewhere next year. Because if they're like, oh, well, if he plays, you know, if he plays his balls off and he goes three and one or four and zero, oh, we can trade him in the offseason for a first or second round pick, and then we'll restock the team. Now, it's like a Matt Castle situation all over again. But so let me ask you this: if he does yep. do well, and then they bench him in favor of Tom Brady, would you be okay with the Patriots not retaining him, considering how much younger he is and how much more time he's going to have in this league? Um, that's a tough one because it's very hard to get the guy and the guy being the franchise quarterback. You're talking to so, somebody who knows that. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> sure. That? Yeah, that, I, exactly. You guys know firsthand. Um, so that, that's a tough call. And again, that's why Belichick gets paid the big, big bucks because if he thinks that Garoppolo's the guy and he's got to weigh that against Garoppolo being the guy and what he thinks of Brady and how long Brady has left. It's a tough call. It's a tough spot to be in. But Jimmy G wants to play. You're certainly not going to pay your backup starter money. So would you trade Garoppolo for picks? And then, you know, everybody says, well, just draft another quarterback. Yeah, great. Well, just well, draft another quarterback. That that's like that's like easy. Like it's drafting a, a guard or a tackle or something. That is, yeah, you, that's one of the things that the Pats have done 
it's for Drew and I who listen to the local radio around here, WGR. They've yep. actually given out all like as they do a what do they do on Howard Simon the uh, the instant trivia. Oh they'll yeah, do, they'll do instant trivia, and it seems like once every six months they resort back to name all of the quarterbacks that the Patriots have drafted since Brady because. Since Brady was picked, you guys have drafted more quarterbacks than anyone else. New in the England NFL. drafted more quarterbacks than what we've drafted since Brady. Yeah. But that's but that's the mark of a competent organization. They know yeah. that hey, we're rich at this position, so let's see if we can strike gold now while we're playing with house money. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, a lot there's a laundry list of Kevin O'Connells and mm. Rohan Davies <laughs> and Rohan Matt Davey. Castles and <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a a laundry list of guys that they drafted. Um, and yeah, because they know Belichick knows it's that's the position. You know, there was a, a football life with Jimmy Johnson on mm-hmm. NFL Network that was made a couple of years ago, and they were talking on Jimmy Johnson's fishing boat. You know, and they were talking about roster building. And, you know, they said when Johnson coached, you know, it was, you know, you had to build your team around your quarterback. Now it's nothing uh, it's nothing but the quarterback. Because right. if you don't have the quarterback, you, you, the don't, you, you don't get the way you need to be. I'll tell you, that's the reason the Bengals have yet to see an AFC championship game. Oh, yeah. They have definitely. a great, every year they put together a solid roster. But they don't have an elite quarterback. They have they have an above average quarterback. That will not win them. They they can't get this even with as stacked as their defense might be. It can't get them to the title. We're gonna find somebody better than Andy Dalton right now. (laughs) I take we we've never really gone into this. I take Andy Dalton over Tyrod Taylor. Are you high? Very high. Oh, Jesus. Very high. See, you know what? This That's medicinal marijuana, it's huge. Apparently, Chris got into some earlier. I don't know. <laughs> so, we're going to move on because we've been talking about quarter. I mean, it's a great conversation. Sure. We've got to move on, talk about the rest of the Patriots team. Now, we're talking about the team being, you know, not being as important as the quarterback position, but what do you think the strongest position group on the Patriots roster is right now? Um, I'd have to say. And the sec- the secondary, because I think that the depth at safety and I think that the depth at cornerback is really rounding into shape. And it's crazy to say that because last year they entered really, uh, you know, the season, you know, minus Ryan, minus Revis, minus Browner, and you had Ryan and, and Butler there. Um, but they went through a season where they were pretty good on the back end. And so far, everybody's had a pretty good camp. The rookie Cyrus Jones looks okay in the slot. Um, he's really getting been getting a lot of work and punt in the kicking game, punt return, kickoff return. But he's pretty much been entrenched at that slot position. And he's been getting pretty good competition from uh, uh, Coleman, uh, Justin Coleman, who's in his second year. So I think there's a lot of bodies there, and I think the talent is pretty good. Now. Uh- since we are a Bills podcast, I'm sure there are some people out here that listen to our podcast. They would like to know how Chris Hogan is doing in training camp. <laughs> Chris Hogan currently is hurt. <laughs> uh, he hurt his shoulder. And just, you know, 
he, he was okay. He actually had a, a little bit of the case of the of the of, of drops in the, in the spring. Oh, Looked really? a little he bit had better all last year for Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read that actually. Um, and so far in camp, he was okay. Um, seemed to be developing a rapport with with Brady and Garoppolo early on, but um, he's been on the sideline for a couple of days. Haven't seen him. So. He's been out with an injury. So you're talking about your secondary being the strongest position group out there on the field right now. Now, Cyrus Jones, I'm an Alabama guy. Okay. I love Alabama football. That guy, when he gets the ball in his hands on punt returns, is electric. Mm-hmm. He has yep. made some – I mean, if you've watched – do you watch college football? I do, and I remember him. Yeah, I remember him from last oh, year, sure. The pick he had – I'll tell you, that game against Michigan State. In State. Sure. Punt return touchdown, the interception in the red zone to keep the shutout going. Like he, the guy just flashes these plays that you're like, okay, he's a premier athlete, and if we can just get him, coach him up, coach him up enough, he's a Bill Belichick guy. He's one of those players who, you know, he wasn't a big name, which is why no one took him at cornerback in the first round. Mm-hmm. But then come the second and third rounds, those are the types of guys that your team has thrived off of for years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Belichick's always talking about value and, you know, certainly, you know, it drives us nuts around here when he trades out of the first round and picks four guys in the second or trades back and gets another second or third for next year. Um, but, you know, like everybody, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of misses, but he certainly he's got he's got a lot more hits. Um, more recently, his makes, drafts have been better. He's got enough hits that he's made how many AFC championship games and Super Bowls? Everything else in the last yeah. decade, I think they're doing a pretty good job. But with the yeah. fact, when it comes to first-round picks of any of the four major sports, football, you don't know what you're getting with a first-round pick. You could get a bust. It's not like the NHL where you top ten, you're guaranteed to hit. Sure, and he's hit on the first round is more than he's hit on the second and the thirds. Actually, I mean, when he takes a first-round player, you know that's why the the strip this year of the first-round pick hurt. You know, that could have been the next Gerard Mayo, Vince Wilfork. Um, he, he, he really misses on those first-rounders. One thing that drove me crazy was wanting to root for Dante Hightower until you guys drafted him. <laughs> Another Alabama guy. Yeah. When you guys took him, I was like, shit, now I can't, now I can't root for a guy that I've just spent years just loving this guy. Yeah. And he has been a pretty solid player for you guys. He really has been. Um, you know, in his first year, um, and is really in his second year as well, he really was finding himself on the defense. If you remember, he played a lot with his hand on the ground at Alabama, and certainly they got him on a lot more standing up now. But um, he did struggle in coverage a little bit early on, but his game has improved drastically. And really in 2014, um, he was tremendous on the defense, which was his third full season. Um, played great. Uh, you know, really had that big play in the Super Bowl to hit um, uh, Marshawn Lynch uh, right before uh, Russell Wilson threw that O-faded pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's 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 been a much improved player. He's been he's been very good, and uh, he's one of the guys they have to sign. They I cannot sign. believe that Seattle did not Didn't run, run the, ball. the ball. You run the ball there. You run the football. I no remember question. falling to my knees. I was cheering in my living room. Whereas my girlfriend at the time just gave me the filthiest look in the world because she's a football fan, but she doesn't like it when I get drunk and watch football. And when I'm <laughs> she's, that's why she's my ex. But, well, she let's, let's say that's how, 
Christian, that's actually how we know each other. Drew and ah. I know each other through his ex-girlfriend. I can't bash and, her completely, yeah, but... But, I mean, hey. she, she does love the Ravens because they wear purple. Oh, uh, well, hey, if that's so, not a good enough reason, I don't know what it's, right? So, so <laughs> I'm standing there, and I'm jumping up and down in the middle of the living room because I'm like, this is it. All right, the, I'm going to get to watch the Patriots lose another Super Bowl. And he throws that pick, and I <laughs> fell to my knees. Just straight oh. to my knees. It was just like, no. No, you're so close. Oh, God, no. What just happened? Well, I did the opposite. You know, I had my hands in my in my head, and right after the, the, the catch on the sideline where I said, this is happening all over again. They're going to lose. They're going to lose another one. I can't believe he caught the ball. Mm-hmm. I still hadn't processed that he caught the ball yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they ran two more plays. And, uh, you know, whenever he, th- I, whenever he threw it, um, I thought he was going to run. As soon as I saw him, I said, what the hell? And, uh, yeah, it was a gift from God. <laughs> so, since we've talked about what the strongest position group is, what do you think the weakest position group on the roster is? Oh, no question. It's running back. Um, you got Laguerre, Blunt, and then you got a bunch of just jags, really, after that. Um, Deion Lewis, I mean. Deion Lewis just hasn't seen the field. And Deion Lewis is not... You know, Deion Lewis is, was in there a lot, but Deion Lewis is certainly more of a of a pass catching back, you know, than he is a between the tackles guy. They don't have a between the tackles back that they can go to on a consistent basis. Um, well, if they did, I'm sure they'd be a shoe in for the next Super Bowl. Yeah, and I mean, they just don't. You know, years looking at years at looking at position, they really don't value the position all that well. I mean, they did draft Vereen and Ridley, but. They seem to just get guys in the late rounds or undrafted guys. There's a guy by the name of Tyler Gaffney on the team right now that was a guy that they picked up off of the Carolina Panthers uh, practice squad a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he seems like that type of guy that potentially could develop into something. Mm-hmm. But they did draft, um, uh, I think it's Devin Lucen. Um, or was another guy from Arizona State. I might be having the names confused. but Alex Collins out of uh, Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they have obviously uh, um, uh, these names escaping me right now. Number thirty-eight, uh, I forget his name. Um, but they have a couple of guys, but they don't have the guy. And it wouldn't surprise me if they make a trade. Um, really? They they consistently when you look at previous years, previous training camps, there's always an unexpected trade of a player or acquisition of a player somewhere. Oh, we know. And we remember that. Um, what's that dude's name? Oh yeah, Lawyer Malloy. <laughs> yes, there you go. Right? You got Lawyer Malloy. There you go. Yep, that's right. I believe that was an outright release, though. Yes, it was. Yes, it was an outright release to a thirty-one to nothing victory. Yeah. Yes, it was. No, no, but but I think I think that was the most devastating part of that season that we beat you thirty-one to nothing. And then Only Bill- for the Pats to come back week 17. And then Billichek made In the last week, oh, no. the same score. You, but, but that's why, to me, that's why in my head, he's the Emperor from Star Wars. Because he didn't want to beat us. He wanted to beat us. He wanted to return the favor, so he made sure the score was the same. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he put he put the first well, he put the first defense back in in there to preserve the shutout in that game. Yep. I remember it clearly. He's like, you know what? This is a blowout, but I don't. I, I want this score to stand. I want I want to make a point that you didn't get one over on me. He will forever yep. be the emperor. Now, the oh, one thing that I've noticed in reading Pat's news and going through, you know, I I, I read Pat's pulpit a lot. 
you guys have, are kind of like a mini obsession of mine because, what can I say, you, you kick the shit out of us every year. So I, I got to know what's going on on your side of the fence now. <laughs> you guys have a lot of injuries to you know, different position groups, guys who were pegged as starters or premier backups. I mean, at the garden position alone, you have three players missing missing time during training camp right now. John Cooper, Shaq Mason, Trey Jackson. These guys are all out. Start with Cooper because yeah. you guys gave up Chandler Jones to get Cooper. No. Yeah, um, you know, Cooper was actually playing right guard and was playing pretty good initially. Uh, and then he got hurt. I think it was a, a foot issue with plantar fasciitis or something like that, I think. So he's been day-to-day. Um, Mason has been more involved the past couple of days. He's slowly come He's come back. Um, Trey Jackson's still on pup, but he's been on the field working, so he may come off any day. Same thing with Volmer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not, they just don't seem to be rushing those guys, much like, much like they're not rushing Amadola and Edelman. Um, the guys are out there, they're doing work, but they're just not playing against the guys yet. They're just not playing against competition. It'll be interesting to see next week when they go up against another team, um, if some of those guys start to fall off a pup. Now, if these any if any of these injuries on your O-line with Cooper, Mason, Jackson, and Palmer carry into the offseason, do you feel that that could be a problem based on the division that the Pats are in? Because we have Kyle Williams, Marcel Darius, maybe Shaq Lawson, Jerry Hughes, and Mo Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, Mario Williams... And Sue. who else am I missing that's awesome? Well, you know what? You bring up an interesting point, Chris. And before you answer that question, Chris, yep. and I just want to preface this whole thing by saying it might actually be Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's fault that this division has said, okay, we know that Tom Brady struggles with A-gap pressure. We've seen him lose games to ferocious defensive lines. We are going to put draft capital and free agent capital and give everything we can at building the best defensive line that we possibly can because that's our only hope at winning the division. We probably have the best division in football when it comes to edge rushers and defensive line. De- defensive line. So the question that becomes like it's it's almost is it almost your guys' fault that the rest of the team had to resort to this and how is that going to hurt you if your line regresses? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. It's it's certainly a good point, and I agree. You know, if you if you got to build your team, um, you know, in this division, the way to do it is to build that defensive line. You know, look how we lost the Super Bowl against the Giants both times. Mm-hmm. Ferocious defensive lines, JPP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that whole crew just to Justin Tuck. My well, God, nightmares. Hand. Well, that that was straight hand. JPP had. Uh, two hands. Yes, at that time, correct. <laughs> no, I just think that the in, the injuries that you guys have sustained, and last year, I'll be honest, you guys were, I mean, you look at some of the injuries you've had. You didn't have Deion Lewis. You went into the AFC's championship game. You were missing some guys. You know, Deion Lewis might be one of the most, one of the most productive guys with Tom Brady on the field. Yeah, I mean, Deion Lewis was a was a huge blow, and he was vital. And the other back that I forgot uh, earlier, Brandon Bolden, mm-hmm. saw a lot of time. And Brandon Bolden is what he is. But, you know, they lost that Denver Bronco game because Marcus Cannon uh, was an absolute turnstile in that game. Um, you have Marcus Cannon on the offensive line, you have problems. 
mm-hmm. and he's gone absolutely whooped in training camp. He's been beaten by Nikovic multiple times. Jabal Sheard has absolutely destroyed him. And only today did Cameron Fleming start seeing reps at right tackle. Well, that um, was going to be my question. How is the tackle battle shaking out there in camp? Well, it's really not a battle. Um, you got uh, Solder back at the left tackle position, and he's been pretty much been there with the ones from day one. Mm-hmm. And then you have Cannon, who was basically just keeping the seat warm until Vollmer comes back. Um, Adrian Waddle is the backup tackle, and I think he's more probably suited to backup Solder at left tackle than he is to uh, backup Vollmer at right tackle because he's yeah. a, a more athletic guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but once Vollmer comes back, really the competition is going to be at the guard positions to see who how it shakes out there. And the rookie Tooney um, has been entrenched at left tackle, at left excuse me at left guard, pretty much from uh, the opening of camp, and he's. Played very well. Now, one of the most interesting injuries, and first off, Tooney. That was a pick that when people, like when they when he got drafted, I saw all of the draft pundits pan that pick. And I said, you know what? I've watched, you know, I watch college. I watch a lot of college football. That guy, he is a monster on the offensive line. He is a, and what it is is that he's smart and he's aggressive. Yep. Those two things as a guard will get, look at Richie Incognito. Oh, yeah. You don't have to be the most physically fit guy in the entire world. You don't have to be the most athletic. You can excel in the NFL if you're willing to just be aggressive, but you're smart about it. Yeah. Oh, and definitely. And he's Cognito's a great example. that kind of a guy. Yeah, he is. And, you know, he was a tackle in college. Man, he has um, the athleticism to play, you know, to get out into the second level and take on linebackers. And so I think guard is a perfect fit for him at the NFL level. Yeah, um, so far, that's sort of what he's done. He's gotten to the second level quick. Um, they have, they've been having one-on-one battles, and I uh, guess he handled Terrence Knight the other day pretty well. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Terrence Knight's a pretty big guy. Um, so interesting going forward. We'll see. But the later and later it gets in camp, and the more you have these guys staying it with the one group, um, you know, the more, the more they're going to be there. Now, the one question that I really want to ask, and I've been wanting to ask a Pats fan for a while, what the yep. hell is going on with Brian Stork? You got me. Um, he he uh, came out Saturday, and no one's seen him since. For guys um, who don't know, for guys listening to our, Bill's guys listening to our podcast, if you're not familiar with the Patriots, Brian Stork has been their starting center for the last two years. He's their Eric Wood. He has been – he was a guy who, when they drafted him, I, I said I thought he was average at best, but Tom Brady has found a way to make him look very solid throughout his career. But in last year's AFC's championship game, you're talking about Marcus Cannon being a liability. I saw multiple occasions where Brian Stork just got manhandled by Derek Wolf. He did. He had a bad game. He Derek had a bad Wolf game as well. manhandled – and I – I honestly think that that's a big reason why there was a couple. There was a couple plays on the the famous uh, the Von Miller pick. Yep. The Von Miller interception. That play happens because the defensive tackles completely collapse the pocket. They did. And yep. flush him outside. That's your starting center getting just bull rush straight backwards. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because if you remember, David Andrews started last year at the beginning of the season and he played up until halftime against the bills mm-hmm. and the bills destroyed him in that game. And that's when Stork came back. Uh, that was the game the Patriots played the bills at home mm-hmm. and Stork came back after that, but Stork was never really right the whole year last year. 
and he was out with a concussion. I don't know if it's the concussion again, but they certainly need to get him right in order for that offensive line to click because the previous year, if you remember, they started out 2-2. Two and two. You know, then there was the whole on to Cincinnati game after that. And it was really after that game that he came in and played great the rest of the year. I'll tell you that you just mentioned on to Cincinnati. That yep. Monday night football game. I've got it in my audio archive. Drew called into a local radio show here and just went off <laughs> about New England and Kansas City's line and. Oh my God! The he called Drew called into the afternoon show here, Chopin the Bulldog, and just they couldn't have agreed more with Drew. Just I mean that plays to Drew's skill set is he's call into radio show guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we um just looking back at it, you know, taking a look at what went on with your center position last year was interesting. And again, for those who are listening who don't know, I know a lot of the Bills fans, they're, they're maybe not getting some of the Patriots and Bills speak because I, I follow the Patriots. David Andrews is their backup center. Brian Stork was out with a concussion for a while. He was their starting center. They drafted him. He played very well when he got chances, but then at the same time he was hurt or at least not able to play. David Andrews looked like a liability. Stork came back, looked like he would dominate all the way through, and then in the championship game, fell apart. Now, yep. by all accounts and everything's I've, everything I've read, David Andrews is doing, now with Brian Stork still sidelined, David Andrews is doing everything he can to take that starting job. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, um, think, I think availability is key for Bill Belichick. Do you think that there's any chance he could slot Andrews above Stork, even though Andrews has limited starting experience? Not even because he's the most talented, but because he doesn't have an injury history. Oh, I do. You know, uh, Belichick talks about that all the time, about being reliable and uh, counting on, being able to count on a guy, uh, you know, to be in the lineup. And they split reps at OTAs, in spring OTAs, which raised a lot of eyebrows to people. And when they started camp, they started to go down that road as well, splitting reps. So I absolutely think he could place Andrews above Stork, sure. So I saw a hilarious article, and I know I, I, I think I put the link on there for you. I got it. Yep. <laughs> so, guys. Dead on. Bill's fans <laughs> who follow baseball. There's an article on patspulpit.com right now. Training camp notes. The headline is Aaron Dobson is Clay Buckholz. <laughs> so, you know, you go on to read it, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Clay Buckholz, he might be one of the most frustrating pitchers in Red Sox history. That's accurate. Big one, big tease. So, is now does do people actually feel that way about Aaron Dobson? Like, what is your feel from just being around Patriots fans and talking to people? Like. The way he works is that he's a guy who always teased greatness, like teased like he might actually get it. He might be a fantastic player, and then he would just fall off the cliff again. Aaron Dobson's career has been the epitome of that. He has a killer game, killer game. You know, he looks like he's really starting to come on, and then he's out with an injury. Or then he just falls off the cliff and starts dropping everything that's thrown to him. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's, that's, him, that's him in a flash. Um, he just can't stay on the field. And then when you finally he gets in a game where he plays well and he catches touchdowns and he makes first downs, you don't see him the next week. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, there was a game he played against Pittsburgh Steelers a couple of years ago. The Patriots put up 55 on them. 
And a lot of Patriot fans refer to that game as the cover zero because Pittsburgh played zero defense that day. And Dobson had like an 80-yard touchdown catch. And I said, oh, man, this kid is here. You know, he did nothing after that. Nothing. Um, he shines in camps. He's looked great in the in, in training camp. He looked great in OTAs. But it probably won't carry over till you know, uh, to the games. So I don't have any I, – I, I don't think he makes a team. Personally. The wide receiver position, considering that they drafted Malcolm Mitchell out of Georgia, who, mind you, got laid out by Reggie Raglan in one the game, <laughs> the last game this season. Yep. The fact that they drafted him, does do you think that that spells the end of Aaron Dobson's tenure? And do you think he makes the roster, or do you think he gets cut at the end of this training game? I think I think Dobson is the odd man out. I mean, I think when you look at the wide receiver position. You got pretty much locks in Amendola, Edelman. Um, they certainly paid Hogan a lot of money, so he's a lock. And you know, then after that, you got guys like Mitchell. You got Keyshawn Martin. You got Nate Washington. Um, you know, you've got guys that Keyshawn that, Martin's that, probably the only one out of that entire group that you just mentioned who doesn't have an established NFL like career. Yeah. Yeah, um, he played well last year uh, for them in spots. Um, seemed like he picked up the offense pretty good, considering you know he was with Houston, so it was the same scheme with Billy O'Brien. Um, but I think that you know another guy like Chris Hopper has certainly made some strides. If you remember, he was the guy that fumbled the punt in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, he's looked good this camp, so I think there's enough young guys in camp that make Dobson expendable. I really do. I think Dobson has got to come out and light it up in training camp games. In, in training camp and in preseason games to save his spot. I really do. That has to be the worst-case scenario for you guys, that some workout warrior is going to bump a guy like Keyshawn Martin, an up-and-coming rookie, or not a rookie, but an up-and-coming player in the league. He's been on practice squads. He's been on different – he's going to bump a guy like that off your roster just to get the same old – you know, you think Aaron Dobson has it put together, and then he just disappoints you all again. Yeah, I mean – and I'm not asking for him to be much. I mean – all they need is a Brandon LaFell type year out of the guy. You know, uh, uh, 2014 when LaFell really started to come on in Game Five uh, that year, they won the Super Bowl. Where they had a, a guy that you had a kind of respect on the outside, not as a deep threat, but you know could run that 15 yard out that Brady likes. Or if you remember in the Ravens divisional game, he had that beautiful route, uh, route down the sideline. Um, Brady threw that ball perfectly to him for a touchdown. Also caught a touchdown on the Super Bowl. So that position's important. Um, I think it is. A lot of people around here say, oh, you don't need Randy Moss, stretch the field type guy. No, but you do need somebody that they respect on the outside. And Amendola and Edelman are not outside guys. No. Hogan, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him to say that. You guys obviously I'll have. You guys, I'll I don't know. i the trouble he's not. <laughs> yeah, okay. He's, he's, he's like Edelman light. Okay. It's like if you could find a lighter version of Edelman, that's what he is. Now, I'm going to finish our podcast tonight with one question. It's the big question on every Bills fan's mind. Are are Pats fans in your area, and are you personally confident that the Patriots can beat Buffalo in Week 4 with no Tom Brady? I'm not. Despite being at home, I'm not. Um, Like I said, just going back to Rex, I think he can always come up with a good game plan. I think he's going to have three games. He's going to have three games of film on Garoppolo. And I think that, hey, listen, this dimes where Rex gives Brady fits. And I think that 
I think it's going to be a tough game here. So, and I think that that's one of the two games they're going to lose. I think they're going to lose to the Bills, and I think they're definitely going to lose to the Cardinals on opening night. Um, three and one through that four-game stretch would be a gift, as far as I'm concerned. You know, you got some local radio hosts around here saying they'll go four and zero, no problem, because the defense is going to carry them. Um, I don't. I just don't see it that way. I think the defense is going to be very good, but I don't see it being a defense that's going to you know allow them to go four and zero. Yeah, Rex has always played great against the Patriots, even as in his last year with the Jets, where a John Itzik didn't give him a whole lot to work with as far as leaving twenty four million on the cap. I think a combined both games against the Jets and Rex's final year, uh, the Patriots, uh, the Patriots, I believe, won both games, but it was by a total of uh, like a combined six points. Yeah. They were very close games. Um, the last game of December at the Jets that year was a very close game. It was, I think it was right after Christmas. The black um, field goal. Right before Christmas, maybe. But, yeah, they, uh, they Rex always plays them tough because Rex can scheme it up. Rex can scheme it up with the, with the best of them. Absolutely. You know, here in Buffalo, we're excited for that, like, week four matchup. I think if you ask any fan around town here that, yeah, we're going to get Brady – we're gonna we're not I would say we're gonna get Brady. We're gonna win that game in week four. But if you ask people that are into it as much as Drew and I am, <laughs> it's gonna seem like an empty victory if we just beat Garoppolo. I can uh, see that. I, sure. My picture, uh-huh. Christian. My nightmare scenario is that yep. we beat you guys. We beat you guys going away at home, and then you guys come here. I'll tell you, if we win by more than a touchdown. I'm selling my tickets to that game <laughs> because I know I've hey I've I've seen what happens and what the Patriots can do when they're mad. When Tom Brady's angry about something, he tends to just take it out on you. When he's angry about your phone call to Schopen the Bulldog about their performance on Monday night against Kansas City, he just yeah. likes to take it out on people. That's, no, Peyton Manning had the same thing though. The great ones always have it. You know what it is? It's that they take it personally. They do. They personalize hey. it. Yeah, they do. And, you know, to play as long as those guys played, and Brady obviously continues to play, you got to find something to get you motivated. Uh, and if it's a slight, and even if they make stuff up, which, you know, <laughs> they do sometimes, you know, no one picked us to win the game. Meanwhile, everybody picked them to win the game. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll use that. And they'll definitely use that to get them motivated. Sure. I'll say that if we, if we, us beating you guys for. In Foxborough, a second time with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. It's going to be an empty victory. It doesn't mean anything to me. And at the same time, I just think it serves to piss everyone off. And then you guys are going to come here and give us hell again later on in the season. Yeah, well, that's it may play out that way. We'll see. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see. Christian, this sure is Christian Simonelli, guys. I'll tell you, if, if you guys are ever interested in anybody, you know, anything that's going on in the Patriots world, there's a couple venues you got to check out. The PFW podcast, it's I've listened to it. It's not bad. As much as I hate these guys. Yeah. It's not bad. But Christian can uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter handle it's at Chris with the T I A N, and that's a moniker that the guys at PFW actually gave me years ago when I called in. Um, and certainly obviously I call in a PFW in progress at least once a week. But yeah, Fred Kirsch, Andy Hart, Paul Perillo, Eric Scalavino. Kevin Collins, all those guys over there are tremendous. Um, they really do a great job, and we're lucky as Pats fans to have them. Guys, 
If you're interested in finding anything else about the, about the Patriots, follow their podcast over there, PFW Podcast. Also, patspulpit.com. It's their SB Nation affiliate. And if you have, if you want to say anything to Christian, no funny business, no hate mail, no no bullshit, guys. Come on, keep it clean. <laughs> All right, get at him on Twitter. Hey, I can take it. And we're gonna wrap this whole thing up. You know, you can get at us at Rock Pile Report. You know, on Twitter, Rock Pile Report seven one six at gmail.com. Check us out. We're gonna be live Saturday at camp, night Saturday at training night. camp. Facebook Live at 8.30, 8.45. We'll tweet it out before it happens, but it's going to be around 9 o'clock, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock. We're going to be on Facebook Live talking about our training camp experience. Yeah, Christian, what? get at that uh, Bill, Buffalo Bills Fanatics on Facebook. and uh, I checked it out. Yeah, and get for the season, because just because I'm banking on it. Um, I know I know you don't know a whole, lot, a whole lot about me personally, but I used to live in Atlanta, and I am... <laughs> Friends with the person that is going to beat out Garrison Sanborn for the long snapper position, Reed Ferguson. So get ready. You're going to want to uh, check into our podcast during the season when Reed Ferguson beats out Sanborn for the long snapper job, and he's living in my second bedroom in my apartment, and we've got a consistent Bills player on our, on our podcast. Jesus Christ, guys. I just went from zero to 60. I've got a producer over here spouting about people fighting that's for awesome. long snapping positions. I'll tell you what. we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's been Christian Simonelli, and this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.